Bibles and turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. I had intended tonight to do the exposition of chapter 3 verse 25 through verse 7 of chapter 4, but I, uh, I'm going to save chapter 4 for next week uh, and break off at uh, 29. Just look at those last five verses of chapter 3 tonight as we come together and we continue in the same thought that the apostle began with last week. If you remember, he, last week he was talking about the intent of the law, the purpose and the intention of the law. And he said the law basically has two purposes. It is to be our jailer, that is to hem us in and hold us accountable and hold us responsible for what, uh, what is wrong in our lives, for the sin that's in our lives. It holds us in abeyance, if you will, until until the gospel has come, that we might be set free. So it is our jailer, but it's also our tutor. It's the, the Greek word there is paedagogos. It is our tutor. It was the, our schoolmaster, the one who is to instruct us and show us what the gospel, uh, the, our need for the gospel, the reason we should come to the gospel. So, so the law had very specific purposes. And those purposes were fulfilled. They were a part of God's plan. They, uh, the promise came before the law, he said, talking about Abraham and the promise. But the law served its purpose uh, until such a time that the seed had come. Now the seed that came is the Lord Jesus Christ. Not seeds, we talked about that, but the seed. And the seed is the Lord Jesus Christ who would set us free from the bondage and the jailer, jailer relationship to the law. And we saw last week in the latter part of those verses we looked at 23 and 24 and I want to start reading there tonight because it, it gives us that idea of the law again and then it uh, talks about faith starting verse 25. Verse 23 says, but before faith came we were kept in custody under the law, that is it was a jailer, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. The law leads us, the law directs us, the law points us toward faith, but the law cannot do what faith can do, and that is justify us, make us right with God. Now he talks about when faith has come. But now, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus or in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Now, the, the Apostle Paul here is, is showing us several things that are very important, starting in verse 25. He's talking about now that faith has come. Now, he's not talking about now that faith has come to the world, and everybody is under faith now, and everybody is under grace now, in the sense that, that everybody is now right with God. There are many people in our world today that are still under law. They may not be Jewish. They may not understand what the law is all about. They may not even cannot even recite to you, probably couldn't recite to you, even the Ten Commandments. 
much less the full-orbed law of God. But they are under that law, they are responsible for that law, and that law holds them in jail, in custody, and it should be a tutor to them, but they won't listen to it. The law can't save, but the law can direct. But Paul says here, talking to these Roman Christians, and that's where we, we sometimes make a real mistake in our interpretation of Scripture. We sometimes look at these and say, well, Paul is just writing this general letter that's to go out into all the world, and so this is for everybody. No, Paul is writing to a very specific group here. He's, he's writing to believers. He's writing to men and women who have come to faith in Christ. He's writing to those who have been justified by faith alone. And he's telling them specific things about their life that's very, very important. It does not relate to somebody who's not in Christ. When Paul says, now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, he doesn't mean that that means nobody needs the law anymore as far as, uh, as a pedagogos, as a tutor, or as a jailer. No, there are many people in the world that still need the law for that. But he says, now that faith has come, we, and that we is a very personal we. It's we who are in Christ no longer are under a tutor. As a matter of fact, he, he's reflecting what Paul said to, uh, to the Roman Christians back in Romans chapter 6 and verse 14 when he said, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not, are not under law, but under grace. He was talking to, to the Roman, I said to the Galatians, while well, he was writing to the Roman Christians, he was writing to the Galatian Christians in this passage. But in Romans chapter 6, he's writing to those Roman Christians, and he's saying to them, listen, you, you no longer are under that law. You're no longer under the burden of that law. You see, the Judaizers were still under the burden of the law, even though they professed that they knew Christ. Because they saw Christianity, they saw faith in Christ as just adding something on to the ceremonial law of Judaism. And so they came along and they said, oh yes, we want that too. And we want to add Jesus to our religious heritage, to our religious system, but we will not give up the bondage of the law. And so they were still very adamant about all the ceremonial and all the ritualistic uh, rules and regulations and laws uh, of Israel. And Paul is saying to the Galatian Christians, and Paul was saying to the Roman Christians, you're no longer under that bondage. You're no longer under that. You have been set free in Christ Jesus. That's why, you know, it, it troubles me if I hear Christians say, and I hear Christians say this all the time, people in the church, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just having trouble with some of the Ten Commandments, but I'm trying my best to live by the Ten Commandments. You can't do that. And you don't have to try. Because Paul says, now that faith has come, you're not under the tutor. You're not under the law. Now, does that mean the law of God is abdicated and no longer in effect? No, the moral law of God's still in effect. As a matter of fact, what you have in the Ten Commandments, if you really want to look at it clearly, is you have a great picture of the character of God. That's really what the Ten Commandments do. They teach us about who God is and what God is like and what His requirements are that we can't meet. That drives us to Christ. There are certain situations, I'm sure, if you have friends and, and, and even relatives who are not Christians and and you really wish that they would come to faith in Christ, and you pray for them, and you desire to witness to them, there's a very real sense, and perhaps in their lives, you might not even start with the gospel message. You might start with the law. Now, the gospel is sufficient, but perhaps they don't even acknowledge that they're sinners. 
And so you take the law and you say, well, here's what God says. Uh, Have no other gods before me. Do you consider anything in your life more important than God? Well, I don't consider God that important. Okay, you broke the first one, all right? Let's move on. And right on down through the Ten Commandments to help them see that they are under condemnation because they are under this law that they cannot fulfill and they cannot live by. But Paul says, as for you, you are, who are in Christ, you who are Christians, you, are now, you, you now have faith. You now walk by faith. You don't walk by the law. You don't try to live by the law. You now have faith. Because of that, verse 26, you are sons, and that sons means men and women. You're children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. What a glorious privilege Paul is talking about with the Galatian Christians here. What a glorious privilege. The privilege of being a child of God. Being brought into the family of God. Now next week, when we look at chapter 4, we're going to look at down at verse 6, and he's going to talk about, that he is, uh, excuse me, not verse 6, but um, <laughs> we're going to talk about adoption because there it is, verse 5. We, that we might receive the adoption as sons because this is, in many cases, in many ways, one of the greatest privileges of the gospel, that we are made the children of God. We are, made in, we are brought into the family of God. Now, we're brought there by adoption. We're not natural-born children. Now, I had somebody one time argue with me and say, well, no, 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 we are brought into the family of God because we are born again into the family of God. Being born again has to do with your regeneration, with your being made new in, in yourself, with a, being a new creature. But your coming into the family of God is by the adoption of God. It's by Him accepting you into His family on the basis of, of what He has done in your life, not what you have done. You have no right to the family relationship. But Paul says that when we are in faith, when faith has come, we are now the sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And and let me just point out here that the only people, the only men and women on the face of the earth that are the children of God and that have the right to call God Father are those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, you hear a lot of people talk about the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. That is a lie. There is no fatherhood of God and brotherhood of man in a salvific relationship, in a redemption relationship. The brotherhood of man, we are brothers with all mankind in only one thing. You know what that is? The fall in sin, yeah. But, and, and God is a father to all of his creation in a fatherly sense that he made it all. But he is only a father redemptively and salvation-wise to those who are in Christ Jesus. There, are no, there is no general overarching fatherhood of God, brotherhood of man. And Paul is putting that to rest right here in, in, in Galatians very clearly when he simply says, for you, that is those Galatian Christians, you are sons of God for one reason and by one means only, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ, or through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, faith is a powerful thing. Faith is a powerful vehicle. We are saved by grace through faith, Paul said to the Ephesian Christians. I mean, faith is that energizing factor that delivers us, if you will, into the family of God, into this family relationship. And that family relationship only comes through faith 
in Christ Jesus. There's no other way. It's not through obeying religious ritual. It's not through being good enough. It's not through trying harder. It's through faith in Christ alone. So it's not on the basis of religion. It's not on the basis of moralism. It's not on the basis of legalism. It's only on the basis of faith through or in Christ Jesus. Verse 27, he goes on and he says, For all of you, and again, that all of you is not everybody on the face of the earth, that all of you is every one of you who are in faith, that faith has come to, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Now, get a picture of this now. Think about what he's saying here. Now, when we hear the word baptized, we typically always think of what? Water. Water baptism. The, the water baptism carries the symbolism here. But, it does not, but Paul is not specifically talking about water baptism here. He's talking about a baptism that takes place whereby you are baptized into Christ. That's how he states it there. He said, you who were baptized into Christ. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's God's Spirit baptizing you into Christ at the point of your salvation, at the point of your conversion. You see, Baptists really do believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, we don't believe in it like the Pentecostals do or the Charismatics do who believe it's some kind of second blessing, something that happens down the road somewhere. You're, you're going along, you're a Christian, and you're about halfway blessed as a Christian. And then one day, one day, wham, bam, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, and now you've got all of it. We don't believe that. We believe you've got it all at conversion, all at salvation. That you come to faith in Christ, and in that experience, you are baptized into Christ. And in being baptized into Christ, then you are clothed you clothe yourselves with Christ. You are covered by Christ. We talk about it in songs like being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We talk about being wearing white garments that he prepares. He says that to the church at Laodicea. He said, you need to buy from me white garments because your garments are dirty. And you need to be, you need to be clean. You need to be visibly clean. And what he's saying here is that's what happens to the person who is brought into the family of God by faith. They are not only baptized through water as a symbol, but they're baptized also into Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit, by the work of God into their life. And you're clothed with Christ. You're clothed with Him. Now verse 28 kind of carries with it a little bit of a question mark. A lot of people misunderstand this. A lot of people use this for all sorts of means. He says here, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now this is a point he's wanting to make. We are all one in Christ. The first thing that faith does, it gives us a new relationship with God, a family relationship. The second thing that faith does is it gives us a relationship with one another. You are all one in Christ Jesus. We are the body of Christ. We are united together in Christ. You are all one in Christ Jesus. So in that relationship, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female. Now let me just ask you something here. Do a little test here on uh, understanding of this. How many of you here tonight uh, are in Christ? I really want answers on this one. All right, all right, you're in Christ, okay? Now, this is just for you ladies. 
How many of you are no longer women? How many of you are, uh, okay, y'all didn't do very well there. How many of you are no longer men? I thought I tricked the men into raising their hands. They didn't. No, Paul is not saying that you lose up your gender identity. You know, some say, well, what Paul is saying here, thou, there are no more roles. We're all, we're all sort of unisex. We're all just sort of one thing, you know, and there's, there's not men, there's not women, there's not Greek. There's... No, he's not saying that at all. He is saying that this is what happens when the body of Christ comes together. You stand on equal footing in salvation before the cross of Christ. Men don't have an advantage. Women don't have an advantage. Jews don't have an advantage. Gentiles don't have an advantage. Slave owners don't have an advantage. And slaves don't have an advantage. We all stand on equal footing before the cross of Jesus Christ. Salvation is a free gift of God irrespective of any of these things. He doesn't respect whether you're a man or a woman or Jew or a Greek or... Or, or, or free or slave. That's not the issue. God works in your life and calls you to salvation based only on His grace. He doesn't take a survey and say, I need three more women because uh, i got too many men. He doesn't say, oops, wait a minute, we got to get some more free men in here because we got so many slaves in the church that, that we're not going to have enough to take up a good offering with. I mean, He doesn't do that. There, there, is no, there is no, in salvation, there is no advantage. He's saying, because in Christ Jesus, we are all one. You're my brother. You're my sister. We're all a part of the family. And God has brought us together in this one body that he calls the church. And he expects us to function in unity and in love and in ministry and in caring for one another. That's what it's all about. That's the freedom that we have in Christ. I have freedom in Christ to love you and to minister to you without any preconceived notions. And you ought to have that same freedom. I don't do it on the basis of law. And, you know, I, I guess some, uh, some of you may think that I minister just because I'm, I'm paid to do it. You know, that's, that's my job. I have to do that. I don't. I minister because I want to. Because you're my family. You're the ones God has brought into my life to be a family to me. And, and so I care about you, and, and you're to care about one another. And you have the same responsibility to minister to one another that I do, to you. It's not that the pastor now or the staff is supposed to do all the ministry, and, and you just kind of be the ministry getters. No, you're, to be to, you're also to be the ministry givers, caring for one another, loving one another, lifting up one another. We are all... One in Christ Jesus. And that last phrase, he, he gives us real, the real benefit. We're, we're, we're made a part of the family of God. That's good. Oh, that's good. By adoption. We'll see next week. We'll talk more about adoption. We are, we are given a unity together. We're, we're one with Christ. And we're in the family of God. We are one with one another. And finally, he says in verse 29, And if you belong to Christ... Oh, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants. Heirs according to promise. Now, what do you think those Judaizers thought, or what do you think those Jewish leaders thought when, when they heard that Paul was going around saying, listen, if, if you're in Christ, 
than your Abraham's descendants. Boy, let me tell you, that tweaked them. They didn't like that at all. Because what did they say? We are Abraham's descendants by blood. We are Abraham's descendants coming down through the ages. We are the ones who are the children of God because we are Abraham's descendants. Paul said, you know, all, at other places, he says, all that are in Israel are not Israel. All that are in Israel are not the Israel of God. And he, sa- he says here, listen, understand this. This is so important. If you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's descendant. Well, no, I, Paul, you don't understand. I was, I'm a Gentile. I, I don't belong to Abraham's descendants because I'm not a Jew. I, I understand this is my brother over here. We're both in Christ. We're in the same church. And, and he really is Abraham's descendant because he is, you know, he's a Jewish person. But I'm, I'm a Gentile. I, my, my lineage is not from Abraham. I'm not a child of Abraham. I'm a Gentile. Dirty Gentile. Paul says, no, you don't understand. When you're in Christ, when you're in Christ, you have a circumcision that is greater than any circumcision that the law gave. When you're in Christ, it's not a circumcision of the flesh. It's a circumcision of the heart. When you're in Christ, you have been changed in such a magnificent way. And the Jew who, has been in, who is in Christ has been changed and made clearly one of Abraham's descendants. And the Gentile who is in Christ has been given the circumcision of the heart. And they are clearly descendants of Abraham. And you are heirs of all the promises of God that were made to Abraham. Because you are in Christ. Now... I'm sure there's a lot of disagreement on that among some people, probably even in this room. But I'm telling you that according to the Word of God, the true Jew in the 21st century is the disciple of Jesus Christ. The the true Israelite, if you will, in the 21st century is the man or the woman who is in Christ Jesus as Lord. Bloodline is not what it's all about. And I know you've got some TV preachers whom I would label as false prophets, by the way. We talked about them this morning. Who tell you that there will be one day when the, all the Jews will, will be accepted because they are Jews by blood. And they will be in heaven with us because of that. I tell you, the scripture makes no such statement. There is one way to a relationship with God, there is one way to heaven, and that is through the blood of Jesus Christ and faith in Christ alone. That's the only way. God does not open a separate door. God does not say, well, you know, the, the hyper-dispensationalist will say, you know, in the, in the millennium, he's going to reestablish all the sacrifices, and the Jews will come and sacrifice again, and they'll be made right with God. No, they won't. It's not in Scripture. The only people that we will see in heaven, the only people that are in the presence of God, according to this book, according to what I believe, to the inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God, is those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They are the ones who are heirs according to promise. They are the ones who are Abraham's descendants. They are the ones who are one in Christ Jesus together. They are the ones who are now sons of God, daughters of God. How? Through faith in Christ Jesus alone. 
Paul is saying, listen, you have been set free. You have been given new life. You have been given a new family. You have been given a new relationship. You have been given promise. It was made to Abraham. And now is a reality in your life. What a glorious, glorious truth that we who are in Christ are the descendants of Abraham. We who are in Christ are what Paul calls at another place that we'll look at later on in this book, the Israel of God, those who are in Christ. What a great privilege to be the called, the people of the living God. To be placed in that relationship, not because we deserved it, not because we earned it, not because of our good merit, but because of His work on the cross. Friend, Paul wants so much for these Galatian Christians, and he wants so much for us grace Christians to know the freedom that's in him. Freedom from the bondage of the law. Freedom from the bondage of sin. Freedom from being wrapped up by a jailer and, and, and pounced upon by a tutor. Freedom that's in Christ that forgives our sins and clothes us, covers us with Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I can't think of any greater blessings. I can't great, think of any greater standing than be at that point in Christ alone. Well, next week, as we come to chapter 4, we're going to look carefully at what he means when he says, so that he might redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. and What it means further to be a son or a daughter of God. No longer a slave to the world, no longer a slave to sin, but a slave of righteousness. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again tonight that we can come and worship, and pray, and study. Lord, to know that we are set free by the blood of Christ. We have, been, we have been given freedom by the blood of Christ. Father, we rejoice in that. Father, we pray for our Jewish brothers, our Jewish friends, those who are outside of Christ. We pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would work in their lives and bring them to faith in Christ, that they might know this adoption, an adoption they think they already have because of of who they were born as, but Lord, knowing that they are not apart from Jesus Christ. Father, I pray you open their eyes to see the glory of Christ. Father, thank you now for our time together tonight. We pray for the congregational meeting we're about to enter into. Be glorified in it, Father, we pray. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, amen.